Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Welcome back, Monica Adair. Um, feedback for me. What, how, what do I need to do to improve as your co-host? Well, you did have the full box of cookies in front of you. There yeah. wasn't enough sharing happening early on, but I think we're getting there. Uh, no, I think you're incredibly supportive and oh. makes everyone feel comfortable. So oh, it's okay. exciting for myself and for our guests. So. Great. Well, we, well, thank you. And I think um, it's been fun to, to uh, I mean, as much as I miss Greg and love Greg. Um, Who's Greg again? Greg, you know that guy. Oh, he had yeah. a beard. He was, you know, he's a filmmaker, all this kind of stuff. He, now, Greg um, pulls in great guests, and you're going to introduce the guests in a second. Um um, but it, but you know what? I was just thinking we never properly introduced you to the audience uh, initially. I just thought maybe you know someone listening to this this particular podcast would love to know a little bit more about this fabulous co-host, oh, that's Monica nice. Adair. Thank you. Well, I'm Monica Adair from Acre Architects, and we have a practice of storied architecture in Atlantic Canada. And what storied architecture is is about inspiring people to live great stories. Essentially, at the heart of it is we want people to believe they can live better and. Mm. Like you have one life to really get the most from it. So cool. And yeah. you are also like Miss Chatelaine, <laughs> right? So you got you know, you're you're very humble. Uh and uh so you've done all these other cool things that people if they want to Google Monica Adair, they'll find out more about you that you're not sharing right now. Well thanks, Dave. And I'm gonna let you and, and Greg's the master of segues into interviews. So I'm gonna see how you segue like to put you on the on the spot a little bit, how you segue into this really. You really love to put guest. me on the spot. Yeah. Well well Greg's not here, but I first heard about our next guest, Trevor Holdenby from Greg. And he said that they were on a panel together, a 21, a 21 Inc. event, which was for leaders in Atlantic Canada or leaders in a, a, that were brought together in Atlantic Canada. And Trevor Holdenby had this incredibly rich and diverse portfolio, resume, background. And anything you touch in his resume is really tantalizing. You could go in deep. But what I fear is limiting of trying to say exactly who he is because mm. it is so wide and diverse. So I'm going to put Trevor right on the spot right away and wonder if it's even possible in one sentence Ooh. to be able to say, who is Trevor Holdenby? <laughs> I've been trying really hard to get it down to to less than a sentence for the last little while. Uh, I'm going with time traveler at the present. That seems to sum up enough of the things and, and introduce enough questions about the rest of the things that it does a good job. I'm, I'm going to go with time travel. That's what it says in my business card now. Oh, I love it. And, and from Greg in the, our notes here is Trevor is a real cool cat that David also I shared a stage with. And then his company, the, the mission.biz is really cool. So just just double that's, cools that, from Greg. They're, they're too cool. That's cools, pretty high. So that's that's high high awesome. praise. High praise, man. High praise. Um, ice, we've gotten the ice cold. Gone straight through cool. I love it. So time traveler. So definitely compelling, and like uh, it really like your your bio does state uh, imaginative futurist, entrepreneur, researcher, and I think uh, the president of 
the mission business. And there's a lot there to go with, but let's start with Time Traveler. <laughs> Where do we find you today in time? In beautiful Toronto, which is uh, far from beautiful. I think this is like, this is sort of the time of year where it feels like the whole, the city itself is like hungover from Christmas. Mm. Everything's like mushy and droopy and it barely gets light out. Perhaps you're experiencing similar meteorology. Um, Very. I'm at I'm at home right now, gradually moving into the future one second at a time, just as you are. So in a different time zone. So in a sense, we're both time travelers. We're talking over like a nature chronological rift um, of the time zone, and and together we move one second into the future. I love it. Uh, today today has been like a, a mission business day for me. Uh, we had some work. We we're working with a really exciting. Um, Another consultancy here in Toronto on the future future of learning and just uh, delivered a project that was about a whole bunch of scenarios about how AI and machine learning and other emerging technologies might reshape learning both for, for children we're curious about, but also for, like, for adults and professionals. So that's kind of uh, the most applied version of time travel that I do at the mission business. Uh, the most, the most sane version of time travel is like helping organizations and companies build scenario plans about what their business might be in the future, what their business might have to deal with in the future, who their people might be, what kind of a world they'll live in, that kind of thing. Um, and that's kind of the that's the entry floor and the elevator of the building that is the mission business. And then the higher you go up in the building, the weirder it gets. <laughs> and the closer you go to the top, the more it resembles actual time travel. We're, um, we're, we're a four-person company, and all of us have backgrounds in the performing arts, but have since gone on to do other things. I became a bunch of those a bunch of those things you said, an entrepreneur and researcher and so on. Uh, and my colleagues have um, become life coaches and uh, human-computer interaction specialists for developing new technology. All interesting folks. I love uh, it. One of us is a clown, a clown company, but we all have a background in the performing arts. And so, the higher you go up in the elevator of the mission business, the more you start getting out on floors uh, where, like, the future comes to life with actors and props and and. Uh, costumes and like breaking news bulletins and uh, food from the future and all sorts of crazy and fun stuff. We call it experiential futures or come, to, come take a trip in our time machine. Well, I love that. And I don't see myself as a conventionalist, but even all those titles, breaking free of things that are familiar is really freeing and exciting. So we're looking forward to hearing more about some of these, um, these things that you're up to. So what compelled you to get involved in the idea of futurism and thinking about, I think, the the unknown in a way. It is thinking about the unknown. I was hanging out with some colleagues, fellow futurists. We, we banned a very futurist yesterday, and we were trying to figure out what it was, even though uh, some of us, some of the people in the group have been doing it for like 20, 25 years. It's still worthwhile to sit around and have a conversation about what on earth we actually do and how it creates value for people. And uh, my colleague, Carl Schrader, who's a science fiction writer, as well as a future consultant for the Canadian military and a number of other organizations, he said, our, our job is to be the people in the room who are always okay with ambiguity. Always. Mm. And that's, uh, that's, that's really the job, is to be comfortable with um, either hearing the strangest things and, and taking them at face value 
or purposely introducing strange into the conversation. How does uh, how and do, the, oh, I'm sorry, cut you off. Go ahead, Trevor. So the answer to the question of how how did I get here is itself kind of a long and windy and uh, fraught with ambiguity road. Uh, I loved science fiction when I was a kid, and I think that's probably the the, the gateway drug that most <laughs> of the people I know have in common who work in this field or in, or interested in this field. There's uh, there was some kind of a semi-religious science fiction experience in their youth somewhere. Uh, and for me, it was like um, growing up in the 80s and early 90s and reading uh, like techno thriller novels, like Michael Crichton novels, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. uh, and the Andromeda Strain and and Congo and like the Terminal Man that were did a really fascinating job of introducing new technologies as plot devices. And it's super simple. And then, and for sort of that much of what the, much of the history of science fiction and it turns 200 years old this year is that it's uh, new ideas, new devices, new possibilities as plot device, new devices as plot device. And um, that planted a seed in me that was always, that never really stopped imagining the uh, the devices of the future, the lifestyles of the future, the challenges of the future. And I think the more uh, the more I studied design, and the more I got into design, first as like a graphic designer, and then uh, for a while as like an, an installation artist, and even as a photographer, um, developing a really personal sense, uh, developing a personal ownership of the idea that everything in the world has been designed and everything that we will ever have that, that is a part of our civilization has been designed. Yeah, I love and that most thought. of the time, most of the time the design only sort of works or it's just okay. Mm-hmm. And depending on how much of the life cycle of it, you're willing to look at in terms of resources or footprint or how it fits in culture or whatever, how flexible it is. Most designs are not very good. And so you can imagine future. I, I you can imagine very easily future worlds where the designs are much better, and try to figure out what sort of a what sort of a world or what sort of a culture would produce fundamentally better designs and and a designed world than we do today. And you can also assume very easily and then extrapolate how the, how this is a problem that will not go away and we will poorly design ourselves into oblivion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's just a charming, a charming and uplifting thought to have. Yeah. I, I'm guessing that Monica <laughs> wants to jump in with a bunch of questions around, around design and, and, and some thoughts there. Before we before mm-hmm. she does that, um, can I can I just go go back to that idea of being comfortable in ambiguity? Because I'm really mm-hmm. curious about that. And 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 I'm, what I'm curious about is because not everyone a lot of most people aren't, I would I would guess, or I would, you know, I would think, um, and, 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 you know, hence some of the challenges we have in the world, right? Because ambiguity is uncomfortable for many people. So what is it that helps people be, in your opinion, comfortable with kind of the, the ambiguous? Uh, there are, there are a lot of lessons in common in, in the answer to that question with, I think a lot of advice that I've received out of, the entrepreneurship community, but there's uh, the realization that that you can fail at things and it's not going to be the end of the world um, is a big 
mover for people's sense of ambiguity that like people, I think particularly in business, people live in gray, but love to try and think in black and white. And a lot of, a lot of systems in business are designed to, if not create black and white outcomes of, of yes, no, or sort of binary outcomes, they are used that way. So that people can try to get things done. Or, and it's not like an evil conspiracy or anything. People simplify things because life's easier to understand that way or life's easier to deal with that way. Um, there's something about doing, doing like uh, futures or foresight work where people are that much more if we've gotten to the point where we're, where I'm running a workshop or we're going on a time travel trip to the future, everybody's admitted that there are things that could happen in the future that they aren't prepared for. And once people do that, um, then I think there's sort of a built, there's a built in little switch that flips that enables whatever the turbo boost 20% more comfort, comfort with ambiguity. Huh. That's interesting. That covers um, some of the topics we talked about earlier, about kind of being comfortable in the uncomfortable, really. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, interesting way to do it. And I'm just thinking of a, a recent conversation I had. I'm an entrepreneur um, with people that were, you know, kind of challenging us on our forecasts. And we, and one, one, my colleague chimed in and he said, you know, one thing we can be certain about if you want certainty is that we'll we will um, we'll we'll uh, exceed or 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 miss our forecast, <laughs> you know. And I thought uh-huh. that's the best way to put it. He goes, you know, like, come on, guys, these are all assumptions, right? right. Like, and how can, and and but but the people looking, for, you know, uh, for to be not ambiguous, you know, to, for that clarity, for that for that certainty. And it's like, and, and I think I, I totally agree with you, Trevor. As an entrepreneur, you're kind of more comfortable there. You're going, well, I, we think this is going to happen. We can't predict it, but you know, we're going to overshoot or undershoot it. But it's it's you know, it's the best we can do at hmm. this stage, right? That's interesting. Trevor, for people that I think you can, oh, sorry, uh-huh. go ahead, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think you can also like with a lot of people, with a lot of the people that I've met that we've worked with, that, uh, that we've talked with productively about the futures. Um, people usually have an experience; they they have a memory of dealing with ambiguity. There's been some time in their life where they felt like in chaos or uncertainty, or like they were taking a huge risk. And even if they don't work that way at present, a lot of people have very powerful personal memories of dealing with or living with or getting out of ambiguity on something or getting deeper into ambiguity in a personal relationship or with like a problem or with an opportunity where there's a hard decision to make. And so a lot of a part of the sort of fundamental reason why employing storytelling and employing a very social focus on creating a great experience for people in the foresight consulting and futures work that we do is a recognition that the way to get people to open up to uncertainty and ambiguity is to have them understand the significance of doing that in a personal context, as well as a context where maybe you're with your boss and you don't know if it's okay to say, I don't know in front of your boss, or you want to appear a better leader before people that you manage or collaborate with. Um, giving people an opportunity to own an experience that happens at work in a personal way at the moment uh, is is really important. <laughs> and I don't, I haven't had a lot of experiences where this happened. So we, at the mission business, we try to make more of those. Well, let's talk about the mission business. For people that don't know exactly what a futurist does, what would a typical day look like for you? And what are your goals and objectives? Uh, our goals and objectives, working as a small team, 
some of them that are more abstract are like to stitch together different kinds of expertise and knowledge. So none of us are really business people, but we work in the work we do with a lot of people whose job is like strategy and planning and operational systems for very big organizations that uh, we don't share a professional experience with. So a lot of what we do is, is translation. And the stuff that we try to translate most, some of the time what we're trying to translate are the documents that people and teams and organizations already have about their future. They have quarterly forecasts, they have annual plans, they have budgets and P&Ls and uh, strategic plans. And maybe like a consultant came in and they like scribbled weird objects on the wall and like took pictures of them <laughs> and said like, that's me, that's, that's amoeba me in the future. <laughs> And they have these artifacts that are about their future, but very few of them have been designed to be appealing or delightful or engaging or like fun to use. And uh, I think that our, our primary purpose at the mission business is to make conversations that people could be having, or in most cases already are having about their future, more fun, more enjoyable so that there's a positive feedback loop there so that it's not something you dread or something you put off because you never know if you're doing it right. When you're having fun, that sort of goes out the window a little bit, at least in the moment. People, people, you know, there's a bit of a decrease in anxiety. If you've got anxiety about where are we going to be a year from now, you can get a little playful with it. You can get sucked into a story and we try to tell really good stories in the work we do because stories both encourage people to suspend their disbelief and also to invest belief in the first place. They find something they like that they believe in. Do you have any examples of what would be a measure of success in terms of achieving that with any kind of organizations or with different groups that you've worked with in the past? Uh, totally. Excellent question. So um, a couple of years ago, we did this project that I like to talk about and I, I like to remember. And I think it was sort of, it might be my favorite thing that we've done so far. We got invited um, to design the kickoff to a three-day conference that was running at NASA Research Park in Silicon Valley. And it was a gathering of like thought leaders and like venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and like people, a bunch of people from NASA to talk about the future of a couple of technologies and to figure out at a very high level sort of what the what the impact and implications of those technologies were. So the the central one was um, like machine learning. And would that help us do astronomy better? Would that make space travel different? Self-driving rocket ships? <laughs> I love it. Um, would, this, would this disrupt the operational structure of how NASA works and how it partners with outside vendors? Um, has anyone already figured this stuff out? And should we all get together and meet that person? So there were like people from SpaceX and Tesla and um, a bunch of science fiction writers and the organization that was uh, running this event got about, I think we had like a five-week lead time. They got about five weeks after the kickoff to the event and I think reassessed who was coming and tried to figure out how they were going to design an experience that mattered to those people and realized that they were kind of up against the wall. They didn't have a great plan for doing that. Hmm. It was going to be like, it was going to be a conference. And uh, through some, some people that we'd met at this company with Autodesk, the 3D design software company that was uh, sponsoring this and putting it on and curating it, 
we met some people there from the global strategy team who'd been to some of these crazy theater, immersive future theater performances we put on here in Toronto. And uh, they basically came to us and said, like, we need you to create a unique, memorable, one-of-a-kind experience, sort of like a great stunt or like a great launch party thing or a great team-building activity, except it has to be content, super content-specific. Like, it has to be deeply educational. Everybody has to walk away with a, a pretty robust understanding of, like, where these technologies are at and how they fit into business innovation and what science fiction books have been written about them 50 years ago. No pressure. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm just <laughs> listening. No I'm pressure. like, oh, my God. Like, you're like, you're, and, no you're pressure. and you took this on? <laughs> And, and yeah, and we have like three weeks to figure out what to mm-hmm, do and to, mm-hmm. to execute it. But you could time travel and back I, and give more time. And I had to, also in those three weeks, I had to finish my master's and defend my thesis <laughs> when my son was born. So it was, it was a very complicated time in my life. Did you just throw in, and my son was born as a caveat? And my son was born a uh, day after. Um, so we went away and did our thinking and looked at some of the work we'd done before, which was about in broad stroke was, was about like what would happen if you made an immersive theater performance about the future uh, where people didn't understand what parts of it were real and what parts of it were fiction. And we took that philosophy to this event and it came up with this, I think, quite simple and delightful idea that like as soon as all these VIPs and people got there, we like pulled the rug under them and from and everybody took off their jackets, all these like all the volunteers and all of the MCs and everything, and everyone was like, Oh, thank God we can finally drop the act. We've been telling you we've been trying get trying to get you all here for three weeks, but we weren't actually able to tell any of you why you were really coming here. You were really coming here not for this weird thought leadership conference cover. Uh, but we've got like we've got a major crisis in our hands, and you're the brightest people in the room who have to figure out how to take us, how to help us Fun. the public with it. Very cool. excellent. And excellent. like the the curtains dropped, and there were these big like mission control screens with all these graphics running, where we'd like created this, fabricated this whole scenario that a satellite carrying what was suspected to be the first example of an extraterrestrial uh, life form was going to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere in like four to ten hours. And it had gone uh, rogue. It was powered by an AI system, and it's like, and we had in the year 2021, we had these posters up everywhere that were like for a better 2021. And <laughs> that's awesome. Um, go beyond to do dare mighty things in 2021, like motivational posters on the wall of NASA. We replaced a lot of their like knickknacks with like fictionalized future versions of their knickknacks. Posters, of, yeah, like badges and memorial plaques for missions that haven't happened yet, and. Um, everybody broke out into groups to try and defeat the artificial intelligence that had taken over this probe and decided to re-enter with like a hazardous life form all aboard. That is amazing. And so everybody, <laughs> everybody broke off into groups and had like um, a facilitator, uh, like a visual facilitator that we'd hired to like take notes and make sure that everyone's thoughts and like actions and decisions were recorded. Because these people were given like carte blanche. It was like, you're the ones who are going to solve this and figure out how we're going to break it to the world that we let this happen. So do whatever, do whatever you need to do. Um, so they had a facilitator with like taking notes, capturing, doing sort of workshoppy things. Uh, they had a subject matter expert in the room who was like the brightest person we could find who knew everything about this topic. So if they had a question, we would be, or he or she would be like, here's, here's where that's at and here's who we would call if we wanted to get that done tomorrow. 
And um, then the third, the third sort of player that we had in the room was like um, was an actor, uh, an improv actor, who played the like department head that they were attached to. Uh, one group was attached to uh, like public relations and press secretary. Another was attached to uh, like the AI research group that was going to figure out how to find a backdoor into the system, how you would hack an AI. Uh, another group was all about like operations and looking at the business world of 2021 and trying to imagine what the like economic um, and and business fallout of this would be, who what, what subcontractors would get blamed, what kind of relationship does the U.S. have with France in, in this world where the rocket booster gets built. And so they had an actor who could like move the drama along. They had a facilitator who could capture everything that they decided to do and everything they tried. And then they had the smartest person in the room about the thing that they were working on. And they had uh, four hours like in real time while the big mission control screens were counting down and like we were getting, um, it was the story was starting to leak out to the press and we had to do damage control the head of the rocket mission tried to kill the designer of the computer because he believed this was all his fault. It was going to ruin his career. There were all sorts of like fun shenanigans. And then uh, everybody had to like make a plan and everyone made a plan. Everything they did to make the plan was captured. So we had like a, a choose your own adventure data set of what all these different people decided to do. And then uh, along the way they learned, uh, they got like a four hour crash course in, the future of artificial intelligence, unmanned space exploration, astrobiology, uh, a bunch of other things of relevance, computer-aided design. Uh, and then then the thing hit zero, the clock hit zero, and the spacecraft crashed outside, and we set off smoke grenades and flares, and they, they had to decide whether or not to open it. Um, and if they hadn't have opened it, they all would have lived. But we built an, we built an alternate ending with uh, quite elaborate production design attached in case people decided to be fools and open the capsule, and they did. They won by one vote. They opened the capsule, and we had this whole canned thing ready where, like, hazmat suits descended on the venue and, like, sirens were going off and people died. Uh, it was incredible. It was so much fun. Oh, what I was just, as I was listening, and unfortunately we're at, we're at the tail end here and, and, and we're going to, um, cause we only got so much time for these interviews and I'm, I'm as I'm listening, I'm thinking we got to change this. We got to get to more long form kind of format, but what's cool about you, that description of what you did is it, it sounds to me, Trevor, like you brought in kind of like all facets of, of, you know, you know, what you do and how you do it. You know what I mean? Like it was like kind of this, you know, elaborate production, you got facilitators, you've got, um, subject matter experts. And I mean, to pull that off, like that was quite a feat, eh? Uh, it was quite intense and grueling. And yeah, by the end we had like three weeks to pull all of this stuff together in another country with performers and facilitators we'd never met before. And, uh, it worked and yeah, the, I, I don't really think of it as a combination of things anymore in my memory. It's just, it, it is, it is that one thing that happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, a lot of what we do, I think comes out of the power of the different types of creativity. And I think the, the mission business or perhaps just my, my personal flavor inside the mission business is it's combinatorial creativity. Sticking, do, sticking things together and seeing if you get a new thing. How do people learn more? Because there's someone listening to this who goes like, geez, we want we we want to talk to Trevor. We want some support or, you know, how, how do they learn more about you and get in touch with you? 
I try to be untouchable by across many of the media by which I am Googleable. So uh, on Twitter, I'm Trevor, T-R-E-V-V-E-R. Uh, our website as a company is themission.biz. Um, we have a whole bunch of info about a project we did that simulated the outbreak of a virus in Toronto in 2012 at zed.to. And... Uh, and beyond that, who knows? I mean, we'll see you, see you in the multiverse. <laughs> see you in the future. Um, well, listen, thanks for your time. Um, great story. I'm sure people will hopefully be in touch to, to, to learn more. Um, for we're, we're, what we did typically do, as I mentioned at, at the start, is is uh, we say goodbye, and then and then Monica and I'll just um, share our takeaways. Um, but I just so appreciate you taking the time to to, to talk with us and and uh, and share. You know, just to be honest, it's something I, I haven't really given as much thought to as I should, and and just even the kind of concept of living in ambiguity is just brilliant. So thanks, Trevor. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Fascinating. It's a, it's a big future. Thank you for having me, Monica. I'm really. Um, I was sort of entranced when you described it earlier with the, the notion of storied architecture, and um, that's a good that's a good little combinatorial incident of creativity there. I like that. Let's make something happen in the future together. You guys got to talk. I'd See love you to. there. All right. <laughs> See, you See you, Trevor. Thanks, man. Thanks, Trevor. Bye. Thank you. So we got to do quick takeaways because I want I'd love let's get your takeaway and then we'll we'll say goodbye to our our listeners. Well, I admire the ability to I think we talked a lot about fears in previous podcasts that I was on board with you and I think that is to not fear the unknown and to be comfortable in ambiguity and what can that hold to open up possibilities and what the world offers. I think that was a pretty exciting and interesting insights that Trevor offered. Awesome. Um yeah, yeah. There's so much there, but that yeah, I'm, I'm with you there for sure. So, well, listen, can can we get you for another week? Can you will you come in for another week? And and, and you're you're starting to take over, which is nice. So we kind of started where you're starting you're, to get used to it. Yeah, right? Right? No, oh, more than used to yeah. it. Like you're like this is awesome. So one more week. See you later, Two Greg. Yes. Yeah, if that was the future, Greg's the past. <laughs> I love it. All right. See you next week. See you later. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com. And on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.